0: So this week's portion is Me and uh, you'll find our reading on page 268, 269. So we'll just open to there, but we're going to be flipping around a good bunch today. Get your fingers ready here. Lick your your fingers. 268 is our portion. So I want to thank Rabbi Ellen Tribwasser here for sending me my teacher, Rabbi Arthur Waskow's um, Devar Torah about this portion which is going to be our jumping off point for today. Arthur has a I think a really accurate, important insight that I never noticed before. So there you go. But an insight that fits into the largest patterns of Torah. Right? Not not something idiosyncratic, but something that reveals some reveals another way that 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 the Torah expresses itself consistently. And since this class is called The Shadow Side of Torah, and we want to look at things that we don't necessarily look at, what I want to look at today, so in our portion, everybody, um, Joseph is in prison. He's been languishing there. Pharaoh has a, a pair of dreams that no one can interpret, and Joseph is called up from the dungeon to interpret the dreams. And because of Joseph's interpretation, which is so, the uh, pharaoh elevates him to be the vizier of Egypt, the second in command, in order to implement the, um, the, uh, uh, the solution to the dreams. Okay. So we know that we know this story. Uh, let's read it. And then uh, what what we want to talk about the shadow side of this reading ice Steve, is that um, as a result of the implementation, as a result of the implementation of this program for collecting food, storehousing food for the seven years of of plenty, and then distributing them for the seven years of famine. On the one hand, Joseph saves the world, right? The world is starving, and Joseph saves the world. On the other hand, as a result of this particular program, at the end of those second seven years, The entire land of Egypt, all its livestock, all its land, and all its people belong to Pharaoh, for that's how they purchased food to survive. So there is a shadow side, a really dark shadow side to this. That, and I'm going to read you what Arthur wrote, is echoed not just in the immediate consequence, which is that the immediate consequence is that, in the book of Genesis ends, Joseph dies, and a new pharaoh arises, who then, the the Joseph's, Joseph's family were living a privileged life in the land of Goshen. Not anymore. Because the same in the same serfdom and servitude that. Uh, was implemented as a result of the seven years of famine, then simply gets applied to the descendants of J- Joseph once Joseph is gone, and the new pharaoh doesn't have a relationship with Joseph, and, the, and also since Joseph is gone, the children of Israel have no levers of power in Egypt anymore. So that, that shadow side we can talk about pretty clear. But there's even a bigger picture uh, that Art points out um, in terms of the thrust of the Torah that who does the world belong to? Does it belong to human beings? Leviticus is very, very clear. The earth is the Lord. You are but residents upon it. So the idea that Joseph facilitates Pharaoh, a human Uh, Human uh, uh, potentate to own the land of Egypt is necessarily going to lead to disaster in the worldview of the Torah. And uh, applying that worldview to contemporary environmental catastrophe is not a stretch, right? Because if you don't let the land rest and you never, and you never acknowledge the fact that it, it, you are the product of the earth rather than it being your product then at least just to the place where we are uh, terrifyingly facing today. So let's read this, and then we'll have a lot of jumping around to do and a lot of interesting things to talk about. 268. At the end of two years' time, Pharaoh had a dream. There he was standing by the Nile, When seven cows came up out of the Nile, handsome and fat, they grazed among the reeds, and now seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, repulsive and gaunt. They stood beside the other cows at the bank of the Nile. The cows that were repulsive and gaunt then ate the cows that were handsome and fat, and Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamt a second time. This time Seven ears of grain were growing on a single stalk. They were healthy and good. And then seven ears of grain, thin, scorched by the east wind, grew after them. The seven ears of grain that were thin and scorched by the east wind then swallowed the seven ears of grain that were healthy and full. And Pharaoh woke up. And behold, it was a dream. In the morning his spirit was troubled. He put out a call for all the soothsayer priests and sages of Egypt. Pharaoh related his dream to them, but no one could interpret them for Pharaoh. The chief cupbearer then spoke to Pharaoh, saying, uh, this day I must acknowledge my sins. If you, Pharaoh, your highness, had grown angry at his servants, so he put me under guard in the house of the captain of the guard, me and the chief baker. And we dreamt a dream on a single night. He and I each dream of our own, uh, each dream of ours with its own meaning. Now there was with us a Hebrew lad, a slave of the captain of the guard. When we related our dreams to him, he interpreted for us, interpreting each one's dream according to its own meaning. And as he interpreted for us, so it came to be. For Pharaoh restored me to my position, but the other guy got hanged, actually got his head chopped off. Tala hanged, okay. So Pharaoh sent summon to Joseph, Joseph who's down in the prison. They hurried him from the pit. He shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I dreamt a dream, there is no, and there is no one to interpret it. But I have heard this about you. You have but to hear a dream, to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh by saying, Biladi, it's not me, Elohim Yaane et shlom pharaoh. God will account or answer to the, to, to, for Pharaoh's well-being. OK, so that's, that's how Joseph meets Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh describes the dream. I won't read them all again. Uh, it's an exact description, pretty much, um, with, oh, that's interesting, there'd be a whole other thing to study. Because Pharaoh throws in some of his comments about the dream. Oh, let's just look at this for a minute. In my dream, I stood on the bank of the Nile. That's, that's what it says. And lo, seven cows went up out of the river, fat and handsome, and grazed among the reeds. And lo, seven other cows, poor, truly repulsive, emaciated, came up after them. Never have I seen any so repulsive in all the land of Egypt. That's Pharaoh talking about his dream. Oh, that's kind of cool. The emaciated and repulsive cows that ate up the first cows, the fat ones. Once they had digested them, they were as repulsive and skinny as before. Whereupon I awoke. Interesting. And then in the other dream, it's this, he tells it with less, less editorializing. OK. Verse 25, down at the bottom of the page. Joseph then said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dream is one. What God is doing, God has revealed to Pharaoh. The seven goodly cows are seven years, and the seven goodly ears of grain are seven years. It is all one dream. The seven cows coming up after them were emaciated and and repulsive are seven years. The seven ears of grain that were thin and scorched by an east wind, they are seven years of famine. This is the very thing I told Pharaoh. What God is doing, God has shown to Pharaoh. Look, seven years are coming of great plenty in all the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine are coming up after them, and all the plenty in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow. So harsh will it be. Verse 32, Pharaoh's dream was repeated, Joseph says, two times because the matter has been fixed by God, and God is making haste to accomplish it. Interesting. Um, I'll just read on. Joseph continues, Let Pharaoh now select a man who is discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh act and appoint administrators over the land and let him take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of plenty. Having them gather, have them gather up all the surplus food of these good years that are coming and let them store up grain in the cities under Pharaoh's control and put them under guard. The food will then be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will prevail in the land of Egypt. Thus the land will not perish through famine. This advice seemed good to Pharaoh and his officials. And Pharaoh said to his officials, is there anyone like this to be found, a man with the spirit of God in him? So Pharaoh then said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my household and all my people shall obey your word. Only I, the throne, shall be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Observe, I have placed you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it it on Joseph's hand. He dressed him in linen trappings and placed the gold chain of office around his neck. He gave him his viceroy's chariot to ride, and they would cry out, royal steward before him. He placed him in charge of all the land of Egypt. I'll go on. Pharaoh now said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without you none shall lift hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph "Safnat Paneach, paneach, Safnat Paneach, which, according to the note, Egyptian for God speaks and he lives, or creator of life, and gave him Asnat, that's an Egyptian girl, meaning belonging to the goddess Nith, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On as a wife. Thus Joseph came to be in charge of the land of Egypt. When Joseph began to serve Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he was 30 years old. Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traversed the whole land of Egypt. And so in the seven years of plenty, the land produced to overflowing. He gathered all the surplus food there was in the land of Egypt from the seven years. He placed food in the cities, the food that came from a city's surrounding fields he placed in its midst. midst. Thus Joseph heaped up grain as plentiful as the sands of the sea, until he could left off measuring, for it was beyond measure. I'm going to read a little more through this chapter. Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived, born to him by Asnat, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named the firstborn son Manasseh, for God has made me forget all the troubles I endured in my father's house. And he named the second son Ephraim, for God has made me <laughs> fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that prevailed in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, as Joseph had foretold. There was famine in all the lands, but all over the land of Egypt there was food. Yet all the land of Egypt was starving, so that the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Um uh, yet, uh, for food, Pharaoh said to all Egypt, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. The famine had spread across the land, so Joseph opened up all that was in the stores, and he provided for Egypt, for the famine had gained strength in the land of Egypt. And all lands came to Egypt to buy provisions from Joseph, for the famine had taken hold in every land. We just read, I just read the whole chapter to you. And he, uh, Um, Immediate questions, thoughts, reactions?
1: Is there a symbolism for the number seven?
0: Yes. (laughs) There is a symbolism for the number seven. In fact, the number seven symbolism is absolutely crucial to uh, understanding this story and the entire Torah. Seven is the number of days of creation, obviously. Right. Um, And... um, Seven in the Torah is completeness, wholeness. It's the complete cycle. The issue in the Torah with seven is that six days you shall labor, and on the seventh day is a Sabbath, a time of ceasing from your labor. Six days you can work your animals, your fields, your servants, your, uh, Im- your, inde- your indentured servants, Um, your sons, your daughters, on the seventh day they must be given a chance to rest. On the seventh day you are not lord over creation. That's crucial. In the seventh year the land is supposed to get a sabbatical rest. You are not supposed to till the land continuously. But in the seventh year you're supposed to give it a rest. And during that year you not only give it a rest, you actually give up ownership of the land because in the view of the Torah, humans cannot own the earth. We are but leaseholders and residents upon it because the earth belongs to the creator, as do we. So, that's the, so the fact that you mentioned seven is exactly the linchpin that we're going to explore as a shadow side in, in this uh, Portion. Uh, yes, Miriam?
2: In
3: verse um, 42, um, page 271,
0: it says, in, in linen trappings. In linen trappings, big day shesh. In other words, royal, you know, nice, beautiful linen garments. <laughs> That's right. Well, our translator, the Hebrew word is just big day, which means clothing. But it's
3: uh, interesting, it was, tra-
4: was translated
3: as
0: Yes, it but, is.
4: But, but trappings is just an English word for. Um, or um, like if somebody is, is, is dressed up in, in regalia, they have the the trappings of office. It's, it's, yes, I know, but but it, does I, but uh, it? it yeah. traps
0: you in a role. Yeah. And yeah. W- last week we talked about how crucial clothing
4: yeah.
0: is in the Joseph story. He gets trapped in the in the, whether it's the coat of many colors or it's the cloak he's wearing when, they, when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, or whether it's the trappings of high office. Yes, is Joseph, if we're talking about the dark side of this, is Joseph, um, shall we say, um, the word I'm looking for, susceptible to the roles of power that he gets to play? Is that his weakness? Uh, I want to say that again. Does Joseph has a we- have a weakness for the trappings of authority? Do he uh, he moves. He's he certainly is has a kind of charisma that means that he's always chosen to be the sort of second in command. He's never the boss, right? And Art Roscoe points this out. He's Joseph. He's Jacob's favorite child. That doesn't make him the patriarch. He's. Um, uh, uh, Potiphar's head servant in his household, with, he gives him the key to everything, you know, the car and the, the storehouse and everything, until he gets thrown in jail. He then becomes um, Pharaoh's vizier, but he's not Pharaoh. The throne is higher. So let's consider that the trappings, and that's why I'm glad Miriam pointed out that we're tra- are, those trappings of power are also a, a, a snare. For Joseph's um, healthy ego that he always appears to have in his life, yeah.
3: So also because we were talking last week about sexual
0: orientation, sexuality, and fluidity. Mm-hmm. Fluidity. Um, the
3: man uh, on television does something about drag queens.
0: Yes, RuPaul. Yes. Yeah.
3: I heard an interview of him. Because he just wears jeans and a t shirt when he goes out. And he said, Well, whenever we are not naked, we're in drag.
0: Whenever we're not naked, we're in some kind of drag. Right,
3: that we're we're taking on some personality.
2: Mm
0: hmm. Our clothes are uh, of some form of uh, of personality. That's great. And it takes someone who, like a drag queen, who has because of who they are, has been forced to understand this about the costumes we wear in life, that then can teach us, who assume that we're just, you know, I'm just dressed like, you know, this way. you know. No, you're dressed in a costume, and you're saying something with your clothes right this moment, no matter what you wear. we talked
3: about clothes so much last
0: week. Yes, thank you. And these days, with uh, body art and tattoos, even when you're naked, you're not naked. <laughs> Right, in, term, in, that, in that terms. It's all, that's fascinating. Other, other comments and thoughts?
5: Yes. I would use the word uniform also in addition to costume, because, I don't know, I,
2: I sometimes
0: wake up and say, what uniform am I going to wear today? What uniform, and my goodness, we're talking about trappings being an interesting English word. What does uniform mean? Yeah, of it, it means that you're putting on like, a, all same. All the same. But that's not what it means in the usage you just meant, but my goodness. Uh, yes, what uniform am I going to wear today? Who, and then you say, who am I today? You know, yeah. Am I the boss? Am I on vacation? Am I, yeah, thank you. Um, Diane.
6: When we got all the grain, Mm-hmm. Verse forty-seven. In the seven years of plenty, the land produced to overflowing. He right. gathered all the surplus food there was in the land in the seven years. He just took it. Yep. He doesn't say. If he well, it, took he
0: it. his word was law because he was he Pharaoh gave him his signet ring. Mm-hmm. Yep. This a smart businessman. Mm-hmm.
4: mm
0: mm-hmm. uh, Ellen.
4: Yeah, in in Hebrew school and other times when you hear the story. You just assumed that, okay, he was, he was in charge so he could gather up all the grain, and that during the seven years of famine, he just redistributed it back to the people who had...
0: Right, right. it sounds like a very happy and, uh, and right. generous story.
4: He saved it so that people wouldn't eat too much and would have it, and then he doled it out to people so that they would have something to eat during the With seven his years
0: foresight of and ability to plan.
4: Right, and, and it was just a, a, you know, I'll keep it for you and then I'll give it back to you so you'll have it during the years of famine. But we never...
0: That's why we're going to read fact, on.
4: The fact that the people had to buy back their land, their, their grain and all they had for collateral was the land.
0: First of all, he claimed a fifth of it, and we're going to come back to a fifth because it turns out there's a, a resonance of that where we're going to go later. Uh, he simply claimed a fifth of it for Pharaoh. That's all. Taxes. Taxes. He stored it, and then he sold it back to them, okay?
4: But they didn't have any money.
0: Uh, well, no, first they, they do. First We're going to read about that. First they do. Uh, Mark is reclining over here, so you can't see her, but I can. Mark,
4: um,
0: she has a back pain. The, is
1: this the first dream that numbers play a big role in?
0: The first dream that numbers play a big role in, because uh, there have been plenty of dreams in Genesis. I, mean, I think you're right. Jacob
1: and having directions, but then Joseph, so I'm just more interested now
0: in like Joseph as a mathematician to add on to right? Isn't his name about adding? Yosef means, to, that's right Lohosif <coughs> is to add on to, so, to, so surplus, Yosef and surplus and add on to and adding which is numbers, that's fascinating I hadn't thought about his Hebrew name very good, keep that in back there too Barb and then Karen Also, I'm not
7: sure uh, what years we're talking about in terms of this time, but in ancient Egypt, uh, grain was used to barter, I mean, it was used in it instead of money, uh-huh. so, and to pay for taxes, so I'm just thinking in, in terms of, so it wasn't only important for uh, nutrition, and, you know, to make beer, to make bread, but also...
0: Mm-hmm. As a form of currency. Right, as a form of, of currency. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Karen.
8: Uh, since some of this language actually will be mirrored in Exodus when the people cry out to God. Well, here
0: are the people crying out to Pharaoh. That's right. And, At you know, the beginning of Exodus, the slaves are so ground down that they cry out to God. But here they crying out here to they're crying out to Pharaoh.
8: And then through, through Joseph, Pharaoh, instead of supplying the manna, which God will provide the children of Israel, here they're parceling out the, the, these rations. And so
0: this... It's, yes, keep in mind the rest of the Torah while you're listening to this sto- story. I've told you uh, in other classes that one of the principles of rabbinic interpretation <gasps> of the Torah is that what happens in Genesis is, often, is almost always a microcosm of something that's going to happen in some similar way to the children of Israel later. In, in the, So the, 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 the stories of the patriarchs prefigure the stories that happened to the children of Israel. So you, you want to keep all of that in mind. Uh, Helen.
5: So the first time I realized that he collected the grain from the people of Egypt. But apparently, this first time Don't doing me he sold it to people outside of Egypt. He
0: sold it to everybody. Right.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's selling it to people. That's right. That's heard his right. grain, and they would come and, and they would have to pay so for
0: it. Let's, so let's get to... Yes? Uh, yes uh, Miriam?
3: Talk about the reason why Israel became barren was because Rome came in and collect taxes on the people's
0: land, and if they couldn't pay the money, they took the trees. Rome? That's what they told us. Oh, oh! My understanding of deforestation is is a late later, but I I, I believe you. I didn't but remember that.
3: But, but that made me think of the same thing. Is that we take we take what was yours? mm-hmm and we're going
0: so that you have to rely on us classic right so in order to to make it even more vividly nasty we're going to go to next week's portion where cuz what happens in the intervening chapters now is because of the famine the joseph's brothers are starving in Canaan and the, and Jacob sends them down to Egypt and the whole drama of Joseph and his brothers unfolds but we're going to pay attention to this other part today. Uh, so most of us, are, we're basically familiar with the drama. It's an incredible drama. No wonder it grabs our attention. I mean, it's, it's he sees them, and they don't recognize him, and he and he cries, and he, it's a great story. But that's not what we're going to do today. Instead, we're going to pick this up where it left off. In next week's portion, turn, turn to page 294. because it's really explicit. 294, chapter 47, verse 13. Now, what happens right before this, in next week's portion, is that Joseph and his brothers have been reunited. Jacob comes down to join them. And if you see in verse 12, Verse 11 and 12, right above there, Joseph settled his father and his brothers. He gave them a holding in the land of Egypt, in the best part of the land, in the region of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Joseph also provided food for his father and his brothers and all his father's household according to the number of their children. Okay, And there, it's like Joseph has saved his family and they are living a good life in Egypt. Now continue from that. Listen. At this time... No food was to be had in the entire land. We just talked about how Joseph was providing food, plenty. For the famine bore down very heavily. The land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished on account of the famine. Joseph now collected all the silver found in the lands of Egypt and Canaan as payment for the grain that the people were buying. And Joseph brought that silver into Pharaoh's palace. When the silver in the lands of Egypt and Canaan was spent, all Egypt flocked to Joseph, saying, Let us have food. Why should we drop dead in front of you? Because the silver is exhausted. Joseph replied, Well, bring your livestock, and I will give it to you in exchange for your livestock if the silver is exhausted. They therefore brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for horses, holdings of sheep and cattle, and asses. That year he kept them alive with food in exchange for all their livestock. Someone will get it, it's okay. That year ended and they approached him in the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that the silver is spent and our animal holdings belong to my Lord. There's nothing left before my Lord but our bodies and our soil. Wow, that's strong language, huh? Gvi'yateinu. Vyateno actually is like our carcasses in, in in English. You know, it doesn't say gufenu, it says gviateno, which is uh, more like our yeah. And admatenu, our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our soil? Buy us and our soil in exchange for food. We and our soil will be slaves to Pharaoh. There we go. Slaves to Pharaoh. Okay. Uh, Distribute seeds so we can live and not die, so the land is not deserted. Joseph then bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. For each Egyptian had sold his field, because the famine had overwhelmed them. Thus the land came into Pharaoh's possession. And thus he made serfs of the people, from one end of the Egyptian border to the other. Now we're going to come back to this verse 21, because it can also be translated, thus he resettled the population from one city to the other, from one edge of his kingdom to another. It's not clear what that sentence means. But they're landless is what's... Uh, they don't have their landholding anymore. Only the land belonging to the priests, the Egyptian priests, did he not buy. For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they ate their allotted portion that Pharaoh had given them. They therefore did not sell their land. Okay. Now, keep in mind, and again, Arthur points all these beautiful points out to me, Art Waskow, um, what is the one thing that priests among Israel, the, Kohen, the Levite tribe, what, what distinguishes them from the other tribes when they enter the land? They don't get land. Don't get land. Don't get land. Uh-huh. The priests in Israelite law, the Levites, do not get land. They rely on the offerings of the people, Their sustenance. They are in charge of the sacred precincts. So there's a lot of sort of like um, just keep that in mind. Because I don't have like I'm not gonna tie this up with a ribbon, but it's like it's all there. I'm gonna keep going. Joseph then said to the people, See, now that I've bought you and your land for Pharaoh, here is seed for you. Sow the land. But when harvest comes, you must give Pharaoh a fifth. And the other four portions will be yours for seeding the field and to be food for you and your household and for your little ones to eat. They're now sharecroppers. And they said, you have given us life. May we find favor in my Lord's sight and be serfs to Pharaoh. Joseph made this a law to this day for Egypt's soil. One-fifth is Pharaoh's. The priest's land alone did not become Pharaoh's. And Israel thus settled in the land of Egypt in the region of Goshen. They struck roots in it, were fruitful, and multiplied greatly. Okay, that's the end of next week. So we just read the entire saga of how Joseph procures the entire land of Egypt, all of its possessions, and all of its people to belong to Pharaoh and be subservient to him.
6: It wasn't just the Israelites who were made slaves. Everybody
0: was made slaves. Serfs. Well, avadim. Avadim in Hebrew means either servant or slave. Uh, Because, uh, so, um, that's why serf is a good word there. Um, They're beholden. They don't have any of their own... uh, They don't have lunch, so they have no means of production. All the means of production have been, uh, they only have their labor. Yeah, and they are subservient to Pharaoh. Everybody, Everybody, except for the priestly caste. This is why, like, oh, wait a minute, okay, Gail?
8: This is the consequence. Joseph sold all of the Egyptians into
2: slavery,
0: slavery. Mm-hmm. servitude. Slavery, ser- I'm saying that so the Israelites get even worse. Is what right. I'm and it's, it's the consequence. Consequence. This is how the Torah works. Remember Jacob? Jacob uh, uh, tricks his brother and steals his birthright, and he goes. And Laban does the same thing to him. That's the Torah's. That's the arc of narrative in the Torah. If you, what, what goes around comes around.
8: And because it's not just that Joseph does this. He's not. We don't even know if he's ordered by Pharaoh, but he does it. And his family, the whole tribes, take
0: advantage of it. Yep. They live well. Right. Yep. Yep. It, feel, it feels so much like. That's right. That's why we're reading it. That's why we're reading it. That's why it's still the Torah. Diane? A few years ago, at Passover, um, I wrote um, Pharaoh's diary. I remember it was excellent.
6: And it it was, um, Pharaoh was saying, These people said, Let me go. Wait a minute. We made a deal. I have the papers. It's signed. You know, you agreed to this situation. Why should I let you go? It's. This is like completely legitimate, mm-hmm. you know. You you agreed, so you now you're going back on your decision. You think you made a bad choice. Well, too bad. You signed the contract.
0: So, in in the presaging that happened, thank you. In the right, who's at fault here? Uh, who? How did this happen? The Torah tells us how it happened. Um, and um, uh, so about but about that presaging. Um, Abraham also oppresses Hagar, the Egyptian um, um, uh, concubine. concubine um, and, and, as, and that also is one of the things that turns about later to the children of Israel by the Egyptians. Joseph sells the Egyptians into servitude to Pharaoh and, and, and saves their lives. So, uh, and in the next episode, just a few chapters from now, when we get to Exodus, uh, we know what happens. A new pharaoh arises who didn't know Joseph, so the position of privilege is lost, and he makes life even worse for the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. Uh, Then it is... Exactly, exactly. Yes, yes.
3: Does it say anywhere about how
0: the egyptians were being treated. are they still in the serpent? doesn't say it doesn't say uh, but um, there's no reason not to assume that they are in a, that the, that pharaoh has consolidated absolute power over the land of egypt now that's the setup that needs to happen for the next story to happen exodus right because a human being pharaoh represents the quality of human beings that would claim absolute power over their entire domain, right? And Pharaoh has that absolute power. And then the story continues. There is a higher power, the creator of heaven and earth, who is going to teach the world a lesson. Because if you recall, in Exodus, God tells Moses, I'm going to teach the world, I'm going to teach everybody a lesson by what I'm going to do to Pharaoh now um, and then predict the ten plagues. So in this drama, uh, um, Pharaoh, as the quintessence of hubris, of the human uh, capacity to think of oneself as godlike, why wouldn't he? Right. Look at the setup he's got here. It, his word is law. His decisions, it's like... Pharaoh um, represents the human archetype of the one who doesn't understand that we are have been created in, and given the gift from the creator of living on this land. So, uh, but it's not just in the story of Exodus that this gets elaborated upon. It's in what may be the most one of the most important chapters in the Torah which is the end of the book of Leviticus, which is the parashat called Bahar and Bechukotai. Bahar and Bechukotai, that's chapter 25, 26, and 27 of Leviticus, the last three chapters, describes how to live according to God's plan, okay, in balance with you. let's look at it, okay, everybody turn to page 850. Oh, I know this page well, I spent a lot of time studying this page.
3: Who did the whole
6: plan. <laughs> I would
0: say Joseph is a complex character. Can we handle it?
5: That's why we skip over this That's right.
0: And that's why we don't tell that's why we don't tell our kids the story this way. And that's why um, I like doing this class, so we can check it all out.
6: To hear Pharaoh's diary over and over, and over again <laughs> <laughs> sure? We should hear it again. But Joseph <laughs> would argue that, you know, just
8: like in his story, he's being thrown into the pit was
0: serving the bigger picture. That's of, right. He would also argue, well, this action is also serving the bigger picture. That's right. What's to come. That's right. Is Joseph merely fulfilling God's plan? Ooh. Which is that. Uh, what, what Karen just said, there's a much bigger picture. The children of Israel will never be able to create a society that um, stands against absolute human power unless it's experienced the effects of living in a society where absolute human power is um, uh, they are the victims of. This is true also. Right? The narrative is, is complicated, but this is the dialectic of the Torah. It's that the children of Israel, had they not been in Egypt, would never have a critique of tyranny. They would never have it. And instead, as a result, though, of, that, of having that experience, their ent- our entire Torah, the foundation of our society, Jewish society, is a critique of precisely that. You were strangers in the land of Egypt, therefore do not oppress the stranger. Therefore, 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 for you know, as it says in the Torah, the feelings of the stranger, the nefesh, nefesh, the soul of the stranger, having yourselves been strangers. Do not oppress the stranger, for you know the soul of the stranger, the powerless, the disenfranchised. And that becomes the foundation of Judaism. So on the one hand, Level one, like, like level one of reading the story, Joseph, good guy, Pharaoh, bad guy. That's a, level two of the story, hey, people are complex. This is a complex story. Level three of the story, what if it all has to happen this way for life to unfold in the way that we inherit this tradition? It's not level one or level two or level three. It's like... Is there free will? Is it pre- it's like these, then we get into the biggest question. And the Torah represents all these levels to us. Um, yes, Joseph is just doing what Joseph has to do so that. Okay. okay. Um,
7: but this brings but, us to a very slippery slope
8: because
4: then we can also look at the, the Holocaust and say, well, <laughs> it
0: it's such a slippery slope. And in the, people who want to, sorry to interrupt, but in people who want to tell meta narratives about the Jewish people, uh they, there are folks who claim the Holocaust had to happen so that the State of Israel could be, and that justifies uh, uh, that justifies a level of human horror that's on them. How can you justify that? And yet we want a story that makes sense. And so it's a very slippery slope.: um,
3: It's the divine paradox.
0: It sure is a paradox.
1: Because Yosef is hadzadik. Yosef
0: is the righteous one. We talked about that last week.
1: Yeah, Yisod.
0: He's holding the world together with his actions. So, so. But then, so then that gets me to the critique that Art Waskow pointed out, which is, and let's just look at this, and then I'll, I'll explain it to you. On page 850, when you enter the land that I assign to you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of the eternal. Six years you may sow your field, and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield, but in the seventh year, the land will have a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of the eternal. You shall not sow, you shall not prune, you shall not root, okay? Um, It'll be a year of complete rest for the land. Verse 6, but you may eat whatever the land during its Sabbath will produce. You, your male and female slaves, the hired and bound laborers who live with you, your cattle and the beasts in your land may all eat from its yield. So every seventh year you're supposed to rest. Now, then, pardon, then in verse 8 it says, then you count off seven sevens so that this period of seven weeks of years gives you 49 years. And you shall sound a shofar loud in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, the day of atonement. You shall have the horn sounded throughout your land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year, and you shall proclaim release throughout the land for all its inhabitants. As I've said every year when we get to this, this is what's on the liberty bell. Proclaim liberty throughout the land, for all its inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to your holding, and each of you shall return to your family. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow or reap. It's a jubilee. It'll be holy. You may only eat the growth direct from the field. The key of this is in verse 13. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to your landholding. When you sell property to your neighbor or buy any from your neighbor, you shall not wrong another. In buying from your neighbor, you shall deduct only the number of years since the jubilee. I'll explain this to anyone who hasn't encountered this before. And in selling to you, that person shall charge you only for the remaining crop years. The more such years, the higher the price. The fewer such years, the lower the price. For what is is being sold to you is a number of harvests not the land itself. Um. Do not wrong one another, but fear your God, for I, the Eternal, am your God. And you shall observe my laws. So, what's going on here? You can't ever buy someone else's land in perpetuity. Okay? Um, exactly the opposite of what happens in Egypt, in Genesis. That is absolutely... At the end of on the fiftieth year, even if you've become impoverished, even if you've become indentured, even if you get to go back to your homestead and start again, that's the idea here. I'm going to read a little more. You shall observe my laws and faithfully keep my rules, that you may live upon the land in security, and the land shall yield its fruit, and you shall eat your fill, and you shall live upon it in security. And should you ask. What are we to eat in the seventh year if we may neither sow nor gather in our crops that year? Hmm. Well, I will ordain my blessing for you in the sixth year so that you shall yield a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will still be eating old grain of that crop. You will be eating the old until the ninth year until the new crops come in. And here's the, here's like the culminating statement. But the land cannot be sold beyond reclaim, for the land is mine. You are but strangers resident with me. Toshavim, residents, leaseholders. Throughout the land that you hold, you must always provide that the land has to be redeemed by, uh, at the end of these 50 years. Um, OK. So, first of all, so here's what I want to say that Art Art Wasco was pointing out. Joseph has interpreted the dream of Pharaoh to mean there are seven years of plenty and then there'll be seven years of famine. What Art Wasco points out is that this is an interpretation, but it's not a prophecy in the sense of what prophets... A prophecy in the Torah does not mean telling what's going to happen in the future. A prophecy in the Torah tells what will happen if you do this and what will happen if you do that. Um, The whole premise of the Torah is that if we follow these laws, then there will be balance and plenty. And Joseph, he critiques Joseph as a, a dream interpreter but not a prophetic voice. The prophetic voice in the Torah says, thus says the Lord your God. If you continue to spurn justice and the, you know, and the laws of, of, of uh, how to treat the land, then you will be cast out. But if you repent... So Art points out, what if Joseph had said, Well, in this dream, if you do not give the land a rest during your seven years of plenty, then there will be seven years of famine. But if you give the land a rest in the seventh year, then God says, um, and I will ordain my blessing for you in the sixth year, and it will yield a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will still be eating old grain of that crop. You will be eating the old until the ninth year, until its crops come in. Let me quote Arthur, okay? I think he said it very well. Joseph, unlike the, the, uh, the previous patriarchs and at least two of the four matriarchs in Hagar, doesn't have a direct communication with God, but only through dreams. He says, only God can interpret Pharaoh's dream, but there is no suggestion that he pauses to listen for God's (laughs) voice. He seeks quickly to turn the dream to his own benefit. That's what Art says today. I think he got the dream wrong. I think his crucial mistake is that he said God is a determinist. The doubling of the dream (coughs) meant there was no free will, only inevitability. That's what, what that verse is, um, uh, sorry, I wrote it down, um, but it's worth reading again. Um, in Miketz, at the be- in our portion, when he interprets Pharaoh's dream and finishes interpretation, he says, verse 32, you don't have to go back there if you don't want, but it's on page 270. Um, he interprets the two dreams saying the plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow so harsh will it be Pharaoh's. and then Joseph says Pharaoh's dream was repeated two times because the matter has been fixed by God and God is making haste to accomplish it it's already fixed that's what he says and then the next verse he says let Pharaoh now select a man who is discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. And then let him do this. He'll take one fifth and then he'll gather it up. And Pharaoh said to his officials, is there anyone like this to be found? A man with the spirit of God in him? Because, um, so I've never read it that way before. So art is reading Jacob as Joseph as truly self-serving. His ego getting in the way of what actual um, the actual purpose of God's speeches to human beings, which is that you have a choice. Right? You have a choice. I think this is a beautiful reading. Um, I think his crucial mistake is that he said God is a determinist. The doubling of the dream meant there was no free will, only inevitability. There was no if in his interpretation, only must. Not prophecy, but prediction. A temporary success, a long-range failure. Imagine an interpretation that might have begun thus. Let me read you art, Okay. There will be seven years of plenty. But if you pursue all your normal agricultural practices in the seventh year, there will follow seven years of famine. Instead, let the land rest for the seventh year. Then there will be no famine. Everything depends on how you treat the land. And I would expand on what Art's saying here, because he's being very pithy here. It's not only the land that gets to rest in the seventh year, what else happens?
9: People rest.
0: Debts are forgiven.
9: Mm-hmm.
0: Indentured servants are freed. Mm-hmm. Everything opposite, right? Debts are forgiven. It's not just the land. I have to write to Art and, and uh, talk to him about that. He is my teacher and is my friend. Uh, he should he continue to do what he does. Yeah. They didn't have Leviticus that's what yet. I, that's
6: right. That's right. But
3: well, how many centuries it Leviticus.
0: took before they did? Uh huh. Which brings up the question we're of. Still
3: not doing it. But
0: I want to. I want you. To, that's right. We're still not doing it. I want you to treat this <laughs> in this reading not as an historical progression, but as a literary creation, um, where this is and this are supposed to be simultaneous. Simultaneous, called up in your mind. Because right, this is about us. This is the landscape of us and of humanity I right, told through these stories. Uh, uh, Gail? So in, in Arthur's reading, when he says, it's not me who understands, it's God speaking through me. Mm-hmm. He's setting himself
4: up. Right. So in, one on.
0: in our primary reading of this text, we see this as a sign that Joseph has truly changed. And we can read it that way. Uh, because he's now not saying, "Listen to the dream I had." He's saying, "God gave me this dream." Okay, you know, and Joseph clearly is gifted, and incredibly gifted, and maybe to the limits of Joseph's ability, he is saving the world, but he's not in a position. It, he, but maybe he's not able to take himself out of the equation.
8: I'm saying more than that. I'm saying if we're really saying that one can read it as his. Self-interest still being paramount, mm-hmm. then when he says God is speaking through me, it's not just me; it's God. And then he says, "Where can you find a man who's wise enough?" I mean, right. come on,
2: right. right? Right. The
0: reading is not hidden. No, we've never. I've just never seen it before. No. Um, and and I'm and I'll, I was I was agreeing with you yes. and saying that yes. Joseph is a mixed bag yes. because he also yes. is a be. Bi- Attempting, he is going to be of great service to the world during these years of famine. But the, because, one might say, because of his, the part of him that wants his own power, uh, there's, he's going to do it in a way that's incredibly damaging at the same time. Blaise?
2: Well, he was also victimized. So he's both the abused and the abuser and uh-huh. the fixer and the wanting to... There's all of that in his...
0: It's it's why it makes for a great novel, right? Because it's all there. It's Mm -hmm. all there. Thank you, Karen. I've never also thought of Haman. Also, as being that Joseph in a way is also one of is being Mm parody in Haman. You know, here's the signet ring and here's the robes. That's right. Here I'm going to put. No, it's the same language. Big deshe is the is the language in in the trappings is all over the Book of Esther. Go on, say more.
8: Also, that the, you know a, as a um, farce, you know, they, they're also making fun of Joseph, and I had, I haven't made that connection. Oh. And also the, what's hidden, you know, Joseph's name that Pharaoh gives him has to do with what's hidden and revealed, and the Book of Esther is also about what's right
0: hidden that name Safnat Paneach, which uh, 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 gets translated as um, in our notes here, God speaks, He lives, but the Targum, which is the Aramaic Translation of the Torah takes safun. Remember uh, in the Passover Seder, tzaf- uh, Shulchan Orech, uh, uh, um, uh, Halel, Tafun, tzaf- Barech, Halel, and Tafun tz- means the Afrikomen, because safun means hidden. Oh. So is there something hidden in Joseph here? Yes, yeah, beautiful. Yeah? Um, I also forgot, I
2: neglected to mention, or forgot to mention until now that reason that Joseph's brothers were unkind to him was because of his own arrogance. and Right. right. You know, we talked So we have all
0: of that. All of that, too. So we can do the psychodrama of Joseph's developmental, you know, we can do, there's so many levels to read this on, and that's part of the beauty of it. Uh, that's why it makes it so rich every year. Now we're looking at this level, which I've never really dug into before, which is why I wanted to to look at it with you today. Yes?
9: So, one of the things that just has been making me think about recently, we re, re watched Judgment at
1: Nuremberg.
9: Wow. And yeah. this whole concept of
0: Judgment at Nuremberg.
9: So, the whole thing where people claim to be doing something good, but then in the course of it do really bad things. It, it seems to me that that's kind of what happened to Joseph, that there was some idea that you know, we're going to save people, people won't starve, a true idea. But in the course of doing that, if you choose to do it immorally, or we're not in line with God, look at what happens. And that's not the only example of the, the Holocaust. is not the only example, but a pretty profound one.
0: Yes. It's, it's it, yes, it's the example of our era. Yeah. Of what, just like the Pharaoh story is our, you know, primary archetypal example of what happens with power unchecked, with human power unchecked, then in our own era, we get to witness it mm-hmm. in art you know, there, but then in countless other ways, which is, hold on to that thought, which, which is what I, what I wanted to say is that, and let's also turn this to ourselves, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Which is that, I always have self-interest, right? The only way I'm going to get even close is by becoming aware of my self-interest at least and considering it in an aware way when I'm making my decisions. Otherwise, I'm really full of shit, right? Always, right? If I pretend to be selfless, uh, right? Um, And um, I'm not selfless. I have a self. And I have needs and interests and goals and desires. So to even approach selflessness requires such a level of self-awareness so that we can consider our investment in our decisions in addition to the other part of us, which is truly altruistic. Right? We have both. It's not that we're just selfish beings. We have this other that we really want to fulfill. We sense it. We know what it means to transcend our, our narrow self-interest. We most human beings want that. Most human beings want to be of service, right? All of that's true. And if it's done with pretension, that you know, it's not. I you know, I, I have no actual ego involved in this. Then that's where you get in big trouble. Yeah.
9: And, and, and so when Spencer Tracy is talking to Burt Lancaster. <laughs> And Burt Lancaster. Says, what a great movie. Oh, you know, better than I even remembered it being. And Bert Lancaster says, but you know, try to, try to see it from my eyes. I was um, sentencing innocent people because of the greater good, of, of, of my concern for Germany. And Spencer Tracy said to him, the first time you did that, you were a part of this thing that you try to pretend you're not a part of. The first time you went along with doing what you knew was wrong.
2: Mm, mm.
9: So I wasn't thinking of that that way until we mm. were talking, but it feels
0: like such a parallel. Didn't Stanley Kramer make that movie? He wow, have. The Defiant Ones and the, all these movies he made. Wow.
9: Paths
0: of Glory? Guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah. Paths of Glory, yeah. <laughs> all those. He, he was like a moral movie maker, yeah. that's what he was doing. Oh, boy. Uh, Yes, Gail? Oh, Diane, you were next.
6: Well, I just, again, want to uh, say pretty much what you were saying, but, you know, I I struggle with this mightily a lot (laughs) in a very (laughs) personal way. You know, um, the rich people get to write the rules. And uh, if you're in uh, in that, not that I'm that wealthy, you know, but a lot of you know I'm a landlord, so I have a lot of tenants, and uh, you know, and we have contracts. Well, I wrote those contracts, and of course they signed the contract because they're desperate for a place to live. You know, and of course I wrote the contract to my advantage, no matter how fair and with honest an, with I an, try to be with
0: an attempt to be fair and honest, a sincere and yes. uh, a, an effective attempt to be fair yes. and honest. Yes. But you and Quite you struggle. So
6: people get to write mm-hmm. the rules. Yep. And it's not fair.
0: Yep. No, you know my stepfather
6: <laughs> <laughs> my and I love it being unfair. I'm
5: so comfortable.
6: I know,
0: that. I know, I know. My wonderful uh, stepfather Herb wh- a few years many years ago we had an opportunity to buy the property next door to us. And he said to don't buy it. He said, The rabbi in a small town does not want to be a landlord. Absolutely. He said <laughs> I took his advice. I mean he, he's a, he's a real estate guy. Okay, okay. Anyway, um, uh, Gail. Thank you, Diane. <laughs> you yes. speak for all of us.
9: Yes. yes. I love to confess. That was very generous of you. <laughs> it's it's only self-interest. Uh, <laughs> Every political decision that's made,
8: a political, always involves a question of somebody thinking, this is the best way Wait. to go. And I'm thinking of the current one with the farm bill, where there are senators who really believe that there should be work requirements for anyone getting food stamps. Okay. Right. Theoretically, I'm putting in quotes, able-bodied. Right. And others who were saying, most of the people, the vast majority, are either in disability, elderly, or children. What are you even starting this whole thing for? But, and I heard Tom Cotton saying, well, you know, it's undeserved. You know, poor, undeserving, yeah. whatever he said. And I'm just saying that there's, it's so hard to constantly, it's a constant issue of where the values are and where you say, I'm going to, I, can't, I can't do this because it will hurt people. I'm going to say one more thing. Is it Please came, do. It came up in, in a group we're in yeah. that it's so easy when you're talking about sort of bad people. And there are bad people. Yeah. But I was thinking, I'm reading the biography of um, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, mm-hmm. Shiresen, the last one, mm-hmm. maybe the messiah.
0: Right, that's another class, everybody. <laughs> but he, was, he says
8: very clearly that the primary rule of Torah is love your neighbor as yourself. Okay?
0: Well, he's quoting Rabbi Akiva, you know that. Yes, and he yeah. says all that. Right. Yeah, no.
8: But he says this is the primary rule, this is how I live my life, and he was known for that. Okay? Yes. But in setting up Kabad, what he was doing was telling young married couples that they had to move to China, or the Belgian Congo was the one I really loved, or Detroit, to set up a Chabad group, And his, because this was for the ultimately out of the compassion and love for the Jewish people. Right. And there's a letter from one of the in-laws saying, one of the mothers saying, my daughter just got married, and I'm not going to see, I love this in I won't see the grandchildren, I won't see her, they're lost to me, how can you do this? And he said, I'm doing this out of love.
2: Uh-huh. So I'm saying, even yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a constant, when you think that a course
8: in the end is worthy, there are so many people who fall by by the side of the road as you're doing this. Yes. Barb. Uh, well,
0: you know, I think the book is um, Beirut to Jerusalem, maybe? From Beirut to Jerusalem by Tom Friedman. Right, and I remember.
7: It was quite the eye-opener for me. And
0: That's a book about Tom Friedman's early reporting in Israel and in Lebanon. So it's 30 years old. Yeah.
7: Yeah, and It's been a while since I've looked at it, but I couldn't help thinking when we're talking about politicians going, and I sometimes play devil's advocate, uh, when it talks about Ben-Gurion and him thinking, you know, these Arabs, they're right. just goat herders, and they're poor, and, you know, not thinking that, to me, how I interpret it is, he thought of them as not significant. And in, in my head, if that in fact was the case, then he misjudged and he was thinking of maybe the Israeli people and you know talk about the politicians. Okay, I'm the leader of these people. But if you're talking about being a humanitarian, what about these people? And I think ultimately it all came back to Bidas
0: All came back to what?
7: Bidus, Bidus. and the tuchus, so to speak. What?
0: Bitus and, uh, and the tuchus. Tuchus. yes, yes. So so um, again, so we're talking about big political things. Ben Gurion was an astonishing man. No, I'm not astonishing man who, like a Lubavitch Rebbe, had a mission. And he was clear about his mission. And if he hadn't been clear about his mission, there'd be no Israel today, right? And the law of unintended consequences. It wasn't necessarily just his uh, European, uh, Eurocentric kind of dismissal of Arabs. It was his complete conviction that the Jewish people had to establish states. It. It's a whole fascinating thing. I, um, but yes, so we're talking about these big political d- decisions uh, and, you know, meta, all that. And, but I want to get back to, uh, but it relates to thinking about Joseph at that moment, I want to talk about narrow self-interest right. that gets mistaken right. for the greater good. That's the critique that we're giving Joseph this time. Um, uh, not misconceptions about, but, uh, but th- that's sort of what, what Art's pointing at and how it clouds our, our, our ability to truly hear the voice of God as we Jews understand it. Um, Helen? And yeah, then Marka?
5: I'm seeing this um, <clears throat> in a new way where uh, Joseph is really seeing the Pharaoh in a very vulnerable position, very vulnerable person right now. He's scared.
0: Pharaoh's scared, that's Pharaoh's right.
5: Pharaoh's scared. He's set up for, uh, for the, with a the fear, he's using fear, the fear factor, to make this plan. And uh, you never thought, I never thought of it that way. I, I had neither. Like being so wonderful, you know, and really he's seeing somebody who's weak at that moment. The right time to
6: strike.
0: The right time to strike. What if Joseph's message had been different?
6: And get out of jail where he was, he was right. Right. Yeah, in prison. jail. Joseph
0: has been in jail for two years.
6: For something he didn't do.
0: Right. Right. So, so all of that. All of that. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Marka?
1: will and awareness. Just one thing. <laughs> well, this is I mean our, this is what we're asking right about about free will here. Mm-hmm. And you know, interestingly, I'd say in neuroscience now there's pretty much a consensus that free will doesn't exist. I was because hearing about that. Everything is autonomic yeah, sorry, and but what I started thinking about was breathing. You can breathe unconsciously or you can breathe consciously. Right. And, so, and that's how I see free will as well. Mm-hmm. But it takes an awareness, and part of that awareness is disruption. Uh-huh.
0: Yes, because that teaches you where you need to grow an awareness. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, I, I, I agree. Um, so the goal here is con- being conscious, being aware. You can participate in your breathing. Be aware of it, even though you know that you're not in control totally in control of it. You can apply your awareness to it, and I would say the same is true in general to life, that the goal is to understand that we can, with awareness, participate in life's unfolding, even though we're not actually generating it.
1: But it seems to me that Joseph, in the interpretation of the dreams, is choosing not to participate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, he's just reporting...
0: Just reporting. Just, I'm just reporting. Right.
1: And so he's not getting involved in saying, if this happened, then this could happen.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So Rabbi Akiva, who is considered to be one of the two or three formative sages of Judaism, is the one who, when asked in our lore, uh, what, is, uh, uh, what is the central principle of the Torah? Right? Rabbi Akiva lived from about the year, I don't know... Um, Mm, what's it he assigned? Uh, um, it it's in the it's in the Bar Kokhba but He's he he's supposed to. He was born somewhere around the year fifty. Maybe he died in the year one thirty five. Okay, so and uh, so he is one of those people who traverses the uh, the entire experience of Jerusalem. Jerusalem being destroyed and then tro- Judaism having to recreate itself in the wake of the destruction and he's one of the formative people in that recreation of Judaism after our holy temple is destroyed so he is known to say the central principle of the Torah is love your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. that's i quote
2: okay so
0: hold on i have to finish the sentence he also one of his one of his other most famous aphorisms is Get ready. You've, some of you have heard this before. Free will is granted and everything is preordained. Or everything is preordained and free will is granted. Now, it takes somebody who's, been a, who's really been paying attention to just put that paradox into six words or whatever. <laughs> um, that we, ha- we live our lives with a sense of agency. Because we do. We do. We'll never get away from it. We—that's how we're organized. And yet, when we examine, drill way down on that, who's deciding? Are, where's it coming from? Right. So, uh, or you could say, as I've talked about my grandfather many times, Joe Schupper. You know, free will is granted, but then when you look back at your life, it's like I feel like there's a puppet master who, who was pulling all the strings. Okay. I'm saying all that, again, I guess just to say that if, if that, that paradox underlies human experience yeah. forever and ever. And w- but in Judaism, we have to act as though we have agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the purpose of our agency is to be of service to God. Yeah. right? As we, the, to this greater, the God who says, you don't own the land. You're but residents on it. The God who says, Do not oppress the stranger, for you were stranger. The God who stands in contrast to everything Pharaoh, and it appears Joseph at this moment, doesn't understand. Um, so that's what I wanted to, to say. Uh, so let me read a little more of what Art said. Oh, Lori, go ahead. I, I, there's so many things. Well, the, pre- the precursor to love your
5: neighbor as yourself is you have to love yourself. You have to know how to live You can't be operating from neuroses, or you don't know how to. That was what I was going to say. But, the, but when you started saying the next thing, um, the whole. It's like science is proving that everything is preordained in our DNA, RNA.
0: That doesn't absolve us from making decisions nope. every five minutes. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Every second we're making choices. Right. And if we don't behave as moral agents, then. Because we have some, because we're convinced that we have no free will, it's like that's a bunch of bullshit.
2: <laughs>
0: um, and uh, on the other hand, if we think we are the masters of our faith, that's a bunch of bullshit, right? And so, what are you going to say? Oh, like no, no, you no. say what Rabbi Akiva said, who and, also said in Pierre Avot, and this is another in that trio of things I love of his. Beloved are human beings for they were made in the image of God. But even more beloved are human beings that they are aware of it.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. That's Rabbi Akiva. Mm -hmm. In other words, what I feel we can do as uh, human beings who wish to continue to uh, um, progress is become more and more aware of ourselves, of our surrounding conscious, in order to become more and more conscious of what we're doing, what the possible motivations are, what the, all of that. So I'm an advocate of expanding consciousness, of growing self-awareness, as we encounter this paradoxical and uh, a world of ours. Um, I feel that's the purpose of a spiritual practice. Is to become more and more aware. When you become more and more aware, the Torah teaches us: you want to serve the source of life. You don't want to just serve your immediate needs or your ego gratification. Or you grow in an awareness, and as by and a natural a natural result of growing awareness is that you become aware of a much bigger. Uh, uh, um, uh, Playing field than just your own gratification. So it all kind of moral, moral development, spiritual development—they all go together for me. They can't—you can't be enlightened and be an asshole. You're not enlightened, right? Um, Okay. um,
7: Can we both? Okay. T-shirt, t-shirt.
0: Except, yeah. Except sometimes, because there's always an accept.
2: Everybody. Right,
0: right. So that's like the bumper sticker uh, I gave out at my uh, bar mitzvah celebration, if you were there. It says, I could be wrong. <laughs> right, that's right. OK, I Don't saw another hand.
7: you think. That's one of my favorite bumper What? Stickers. Don't believe everything Don't you think. Don't believe everything you think. That's right. <laughs> that's
0: right. That's right. Let, let, me, let me read on. Let me read on. Can I ask one oh,
1: yes. I'm just not buying this. I don't know why. But I feel like, you know, poor Joseph. He was just in prison for two weeks. Like, why should he be so great? Like, why isn't he given time to develop? Why is the selfish? I don't quite get it.
0: Oh, I'm not judging him as selfish. I'm trying to describe what might be, hey, I can get out of jail here, and I can, like, play this situation really well, and I'll do good by it, and it's all... Oh, okay. Right. No, no, not I'm trashing him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> At least that's how
1: I. It just seems like he's in a pretty vulnerable position. Yeah,
0: now. yeah. How 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 many people? I mean, you know, let's talk about Nelson Mandela, right? Who I didn't know personally, so I don't even know if this is baloney, <laughs> right? Um, Twenty-seven years crushing rocks, and he comes out ready to forgive his. Like, I think Joseph also advanced in prison because he comes out and says. It's not me who interprets dreams, it's God. So he's also changed, but he's also been forgotten. Remember, he has, remember me to these, and this guy, the cupbearer, remembers two years later. So yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for Joseph. No, this isn't about being unsympathetic. It's about Joseph as hero, Joseph as complicated hero here. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Gail?
8: It's not that he says that he becomes, I guess, it's the position he's in, it's that as the story continues. Yes. He gradually enslaves the Egyptians. That's the part, yeah. and it's a wonderful example if you want to think about it that way, of being in a corrupt world and getting progressively more corrupted.
0: mm mm-hmm. right. and, and, and you, you in just you just kind of keep going along with it because, yeah. like the, back to Judgment at Nuremberg, you know. Uh, uh, so, again, I've just never read it quite this way before. So that's what I'm exploring today. Um, yes.
2: Well, there's a big leap between the complications of Joseph and Moses. I mean, there's
0: a, an arc that's... An arc between Joseph and Moses. And Joseph. Moses is extraordinary. Right. And he even... He's not unblemished himself. No. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's good. Miriam, did you get to say what you wanted before? Because I, I didn't go on. Well,
3: I was just give an example of... Anyway, um, um, my nephew asked me how I met this particular person who's a performing artist. And all of a sudden I went back to Portland, Oregon. He looked at the clock and said, you know we've been talking for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> and he kept asking me, he's just 30, asking me these questions and how I actually met and worked with and all the people that brought me to me today and you're one of those people that in fact knows this person and knows these other people and all of this together so it's like it's it's, it's like you can't claim you, you have to look that I am here because
0: of thousands and thousands of people. thank you it takes the thank village. you thank <laughs> you so <laughs> thank you so here's a more sympathetic reading uh, about Joseph which sort of in a lot of the things that, that we've been going back and forth about, which is that he's doing the best he can. Mm-hmm. As a result, um, ultimately, the children Israel get ex- enslaved. Um, nothing he could have foreseen at this moment. How would he know? Um, unless, unless he had a prophetic spirit, right? And that's what we're going uh, to get back to that. But, um, and if Joseph hadn't lived his life as best he could, along with his brothers, and his, then we wouldn't have the story that then leads us to receive this Torah, to receive this teaching. So that's where everything is as it has to be, and so and at the same time, I think as Jews, inheritors of the Jewish tradition, where you are supposed to speak out in the voice of the the, the judge of all the world, when we see injustice, even though our perspective is limited, that's part of what we're, we're doing here. Let me read on a little bit. Um, so imagine if Joseph had been in place, consciously, consciousness-wise to s- respond to the dreams this way. There will be seven years of plenty, but if you pursue all your normal agricultural practices in the seventh year, there will follow seven years of famine. Instead, let the land rest for the seventh year. Let debts be forgiven. Let people go back to their land holdings. Let indentured servants go. Then make it a Shabbaton, a true Sabbath. As it says in the fourth commandment of the Torah, it says on the Sabbath day, you shall not make your servants, your family, your animals work, because you were slaves in the land of Egypt. So remember, don't lord it over people. Uh, You know, you can can be the boss six days of the week, but once a week, give it up. Then follow what Joseph... Everything depends on how you treat the land and its inhabitants. Then follow what Joseph does with the Egyptians. It is an exact black-and-white reversal of the land policy laid out in chapter 25 of Leviticus. Because Bihar focuses on constant restoration of the land and of the community, not the sequestering of the first of first the food, then the animals, then the people, as, uh, as uh, subservient to the king. Bihar says the land cannot be sold beyond reclaim, because it belongs to me, Yudhai But Joseph makes Pharaoh the owner of almost all the land. And who gets to keep their own land? Only the priests who in Bihar are precisely the ones who do not get the whole land of their own. We didn't read that section. And in Bihar, each family gets to renew its own con- connection with its ancestral turf. In Joseph's regime, all the Egyptians are torn from their own place. And that's that verse 4721 um, that uh, uh, I won't get into right now. But yes, they're even ripped from their land. This episode in Mitzrayim, which is called The Narrow Place, in, is a translation of Egypt in Hebrew. Mitzrayim means the tight and narrow place. Is the fourth time Joseph lives through being lifted from a place of rough equality into being put in charge as assistant to the boss by his father over his brothers, and that ends badly, by Potiphar over his household, including displacing Potiphar's wife, and that ends badly. By the warden in the prison, who elevates him above the other prisoner, and that ends badly. And finally, Pharaoh elevates him, and, well, that ends well when Genesis ends, unless you keep reading. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. After Joseph enslaved all Egypt, his folks are enslaved. The big victory of his life, quote-unquote. Uh, after, at last, at last, after all those disasters in his own life, turns into a big disaster. Mm-hmm. So I think the Torah is teaching a cautionary, not a triumphal tale. Mm-hmm. Don't be fooled by the hyper-wealth and hyper-power of the pharaoh, pharaohonic role. It will destroy you. Mm-hmm. That's also what it teaches in the wilderness as we approach our impending sojourn in Eretz Yisrael. Or as privileged in Imperial America, it warns. Don't act as you if you invented your prosperity. Yod He the interbreathing breath of all life, gave you everything you have. So I think the story of Joseph stands beside <laughs> chapter twenty six of Leviticus in warning what will happen if we arrogantly ignore the teaching of chapter twenty five. Go, Rabbi Arthur. So Chapter 26 of Leviticus describes what will happen if you do not let the land rest. And it's a nightmare chapter. Let's look at it for a minute. Look at, uh, let's see, yeah, I'm going to look at this and then I'm going to go one more thing with you. Look at page 800 and 65, everybody. Is
1: this from the
0: Shema? Is from... No. no. Shema isn't Deuteronomy. Oh, the I'm Shema? Right. No, no, this is a different path. Page 865. So now, having just described the sabbatical year, the Torah continues. If you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments, and what should be in brackets here is, about letting the land rest and about releasing debts and people going back to the land holding. I will grant your rains in their season so the earth shall yield its produce and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing shall overtake the vintage and your vintage shall overtake the sowing. You shall eat your fill of bread and dwell securely in your land. I will grant peace in the land. You shall lie down untroubled. By anyone, I will give the land respite from vicious <coughs> beasts, and no sword shall cross your land. You shall give chase to your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And uh, five hundred of you shall give chase to a, five of you shall give chase to a hundred. A hundred shall give chase to ten thousand. Your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. There are plenty of enemies in the Bible. Okay. I will look with favor upon you and make you fertile and multiply you, and I will maintain my covenant with you. You shall eat old grain being long, long stored. Got that? You shall eat old grain long stored. That's the echo of the Joseph story. And you shall have to clear out the old to make room for the new. And I will establish my abode in your midst and I will not spurn you. I will be ever present in your midst. I will be your God and you shall be my people. I, the etern- This is the verse I wanted to get to in addition. I, yud your God, who brought you out from the land of the Egyptians to be their slaves no more, who broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. What a metaphor. The bar, you know, I just love that sentence in Torah, and broke the bars of your yoke so that you could walk erect. That's what happens, that's the Torah's vision of what will happen if Uh, uh, you let if you you make this conscious your conscious practice about your relationship to the earth and to each other hold on now on page 866 it says the big but if you do not obey me and do not observe these commandments I will wreak misery upon you I will set my face against you and it says in verse eighteen, And if for all that you do not obey me, I will go on to discipline you sevenfold for your sins, and seven is repeated over and over in this chapter. I will make your sky I will break your proud glory, I will make your skies like iron and your earth like copper, so that your strength shall be spent to no purpose. Your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. And it gets worse and worse. We won't read the whole chapter right now. Um, So in the the view of the Torah, and therefore the view of Judaism, there is a moral law in the universe. There is a balance we must live with, with creation, where we do not, where, you know, I will break your proud glory, right? The story of Pharaoh is the story of the human being who thinks that this is all mine and that proud glory is going to get broken. Uh, And it's a consequence of that behavior. So, back to this idea uh, that Art puts out of Joseph being a um, interpreting and predicting, but not prophesying to Pharaoh. And then look at the, the, the prophetic portion from Jeremiah that our rabbis attached to this Torah portion that we're just looking at, uh, Bechogotai. Look at page 880. In the interest of time, let's start at verse 5 on page 881. Here's Jeremiah. Thus says the Eternal One, Cursed are those who trust in mortals, making mortal flesh their strength, turning their hearts from the Eternal. They shall be like a stunted tree in the desert, never seeing when good comes, mm-hmm. dwelling in dry places in the wilderness, in a salt land where no one dwells. Blessed are those who trust in the eternal, whose trust is in the eternal. They shall be like a tree planted by the water. sink That's where that phrase comes from, just and, like a tree. And
4: planted. verse 7 is part of uh, Birkara, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sinking its roots
0: by a water course, never noticing when the heat comes, its leaves green, careless of times of drought, never failing to bear fruit. Then Jeremiah says, The human heart is of all things the most deceitful, so perverse. Who can understand it? Don't turn the page yet. Look at the Hebrew word for crooked or deceitful in verse nine. Oh Yakov. Akov like Yaakov. Akov means crooked and deceitful. Remember, that's his name, right? And he needs a new name, Yisrael. So crooked is the human heart, so perverse. Who can understand it? I can picture Jeremiah, right? <laughs> like... Boy, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, like, don't you get this, everybody? Let's go on. I, the Eternal, search the heart and test the spirit giving to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doing. Those who gain wealth by unjust means are like a partridge brooding eggs that do not hatch. In the middle of life, it will forsake them. And at the end, they are known to be fools." (laughs) A throne of glory. Boy, we are living an archetypal moment right now, aren't we? Dare I say his name. A a throne of glory exalted from the beginning as our holy shrine. O hope of Israel, eternal one. What a great name for God. Those who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn from you are written in the dust. For they have forsaken the fountain of living waters, makor mayim chayim, the eternal. And then this pashen closes, and he speaks in the first person. Heal me, yod so that I might be healed. Save me, and then I shall be saved, for you are my praise. That's Jeremiah. So I'm picturing, when I was reading art, and then I was looking at what the rabbis chose to put as the Haftorah portion, Uh, about um, what happens if you don't keep the sabbatical year. And I thought about how um, a prophet in the Jewish tradition is someone who actually knows or believes or trusts in all their heart that we're supposed to be moral, self-aware beings. And that all of our um, ludicrous, pathetic, you know, behavior, it's like, that we're better than that. Uh, and that those who gain wealth by unjust means are in the end known to be fools. It's like, no, not if you look at the, the, uh, the magazine rack in anywhere. No, those are the people we idolize. Right? Those are the, that's why I'm using the word on purpose, you know, because they're false idols. right? And the Torah wants us to be hearing a different message. Um, so if Joseph, what if Joseph, and this was the question that popped in my head after I read this off Torah and read Art Wasco, what if Joseph at that moment with Pharaoh spoke as a prophet instead of the uh, as a predictor? That's the question that comes up for me. Just the question. Don't have the answer. Yeah?
1: I don't think he's capable of it yet. I mean, he's still yoked. He's still an ox, Joseph. That's right. He's not standing as... Broke a the bars of
0: his yoke, and he's not standing erect. That's right.
1: You have to be able to stand to be a prophet.
0: And Jeremiah was not a happy man a lot of the time, because he got thrown in jail. You know, to be a prophet is not... Uh, is a tough role in the Bible. No. Now, that's why I'm not judging Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I said, <laughs> the question I want to present to us in our last few minutes is, if Joseph had been in a state of prophetic, um, uh, uh, in, the, in the sense of the, the prof, not prophetic, and remember, you understand what I'm saying, the prophetic spirit as Judaism, the Torah understands, what might Joseph have said to Pharaoh? Art Waskow speaks as a an art's a complicated guy too. I know him really well. <laughs> in fact, you should read his piece about being a um, witness at the Chicago uh, oh Seven goodness. trial in that 1960. Judge. Yeah, um, and what was the judge's name? What oh, Hoffman. Hoffman yeah. and and dealing with Hoffman from the witness stand. So, art's seen it all this century. Let me tell you. So anyway, um, but art. For whoever whatever it is, he's determined to keep this prophetic voice of Judaism alive. Right. And um, So there's the question. Not Joseph Joseph I'm not I'm not on Joseph's case. I'm I, but I'm not to say that. it's okay, it's all right. Like I truly believe we're all doing the best we can here. Uh, but what might Joseph had said to Pharaoh? And that's what Ark is trying to put out here. If that dream is predictive of an if, if you do not understand that the universe and all that's in it belong to the creator, then this is a path. But if in these seven years of plenty, as he says, you follow the teachings of Bihar, and in the seventh year, you let go of control of the environment, and of the people around you, and you forgive people's debts to you, and you release those indentured to you, and you, then there's a chance that another outcome could happen, because the future isn't predetermined, but it's contingent on our understanding of a, a right relationship to the world around us. So that's what uh, I wanted to share with you. Gail? So...
8: Climate change report.
0: Yes. Again, so it's know. one of the reasons my thoughts went this way. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm.
8: And we live in a culture, a society, that has not recognized this adequately. Right. Right. And most of us are quite frightened and don't know what we can do as our consciousness increasingly is raised around this issue as we become aware and less enslaved, internally, to the culture. Mm -hmm. So I just want to let you know that the Sustainability Committee of the Woodstock Jewish Congregation, along with the Woodstock Land Conservancy, Transition, and we think St. Gregory's, will be running a four-part movie and event series, essentially around the uh, program called Drawdown, which is scientific stuff about how to reverse the climate change—the 100 solutions—and mm-hmm. right. the focus will be the the um, movie and event will be the last week of each month, starting in January, four of them. So January 28th, and the focus for the first set is on food and various aspects of how, if we change what we did with food, we could do a major, a major, major, huge chunk reversing climate change and sequestering carbon. And the emphasis on this is going to be, at least for the speakers, what's happening in the Hudson Valley that we can be part of that's going on here with people who, if not prophets, are definitely in the mode of saying I'm listening to God's voice, the land is not ours, and I can change the outcome. Thank and you. They're doing things. So, so when are the film's going to be? The first one is January twenty eighth, Monday evening.
0: Okay, so. And and if you want to be, if you want to, if you want to participate in our sustainability initiatives here, please speak to Gail or to me. Yes, we'll do what we can. We'll so do what we can. Are
2: suitable for children?
0: Can you bring children? Yeah. I mean, like, I think it depends on the kid. Use your judgment. I mean, it's Some of a. Per- it might be a it's because tough we're for us. Aiming to help <laughs> you walk out
8: feeling better, but we also have to state the problems.
0: But truly, it depends on the kid. It, it depends on the kid. Yeah, yeah. There are some kids will be sense, will find their sense of purpose by doing this, and other kids will. So you have to just. Well, I
2: asked my grandson what he wanted to contribute to, what kind of causes. Yeah. So he had two. One was climate change, and the other was animal extinction.
0: Yes. How old is he now? How old, 12, Twelve and a half.
2: Yeah, you can yeah, bring him. him. So yeah. Bring
0: him. He's he's on it. Those were his
2: two things that he wanted to.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, next week we're gonna look up on the
0: computer organizations that. Good. We good. Well. Evening. Good. Did anyone else um? Did anyone else wanna wanna say something before we conclude?
6: <sighs>
0: yes. So we'll make announcements about Right. tomorrow night is not our Hanukkah party, tomorrow night is Shabbat. We have our first Friday monthly Shabbat dinner at 6 o'clock. We're going to light menorahs before we let, when, and then light Shabbat candles. So And we are honoring our new members. Some of you may have been invited. People who have joined in the last X amount of time, I don't know, sometime in the last year, yeah, eight months or so. So <coughs> we're going to have a whole bunch of our new members here. And we're going to make sure everyone gets introduced to each other. And that's tomorrow night. And then on Sunday, from 4 to 6, we have our congregational Hanukkah party. Everybody's welcome. Diane's been organizing it with the other volunteers. We'll have really fun activities for the kids. It's a, Really fun. We had fun playing them. The grown-ups can join in. We have fun. We're going to sing. We're going to light menorahs. It's the eighth night. We're going to have a potluck. We have this, uh, Diane just, uh, and Jeff night? just procured this.
2: Eighth
0: night. Eighth night. Eighth night. Procured this warming oven so that we don't have to have cold latkes.
7: But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, we need latkes,
8: so people are encouraged to bring their latkes.
0: Bring your latkes. We'll provide the sour cream and the, the applesauce. We We've got the sour cream and the applesauce uh, here. And
8: apricot oh. jam. And
2: apricot jam. Oh.
0: And apricot, you like apricot jam? I, I, I heard bring, that. Bring, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely bring apricot jam. Uh Kodesh. <laughs> The Rosh Chodesh group on is on Sunday morning. You can
2: pass. spend the entire weekend here. Yeah. <laughs> By the way,
0: um, our student Rabbi Lily will be here this Shabbat, and our Rab, student Rabbi from last year, who's now Rabbi Emily Cohen, is com- they're friends, and, and Emily's oh, off, and Emily. off this weekend. So Emily's coming up this weekend. Oh, yes. uh, great. So I don't know if she'll get to the party, but she'll be here for uh, Shabbat services. And
8: Stephen Kane has prepared a very
0: interesting tomorrow. Oh, Saturday morning our Stephen Kane. yeah. It's on this portion. I wonder what he's going to talk about.
3: Yeah.
0: Um. So everybody, thank you for taking this journey with me. Uh, oh, uh, and um, let's see what we do next yeah, week. Thank you. OK.